0: Welcome to Ticket Splitters, the Grassroots Midwest podcast. Our guest this week is Noah Smith, partner at Capital Services, a multi-client lobbying firm here in Lansing, Michigan. Noah is a former legislative staffer, a former Area Executive Director for the American Cancer Society, and a former US Marine. He was also captain of my swim team in high school and drum major of our high school band. Thanks for joining us on Ticket Splitters, Noah.
1: And thanks for outing me.
0: Again. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we uh, we like you keep it friendly here, and uh, I've been looking forward to having you on the podcast for a while. Uh, Noah is literally one of my oldest friends in politics, That's right? And just one of my oldest friends in general. So, Noah, uh, like I mentioned in the introduction here, uh, you're a multi-client lobbyist. You're actually the first one uh, of the multi-clients that we've had on the show. Most people's idea of what a lobbyist does are shaped by what they see in movies, on television, or what they hear from the talking heads on cable news. Um, Set the record straight for our guests. What does a typical day in the life of a lobbyist look like when the Michigan Legislature's in session, and uh, what about when they're out of session like right now?
1: (laughs) Well, so... um... Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This would be a good time. Uh, And just for the audience, yeah, Adrian and I have known each other for decades, plural. Yeah. Uh, Right? And so, uh, you know, if anyone wants to dish any dirt, uh, you can get a hold of me. I'll put my phone number at the end of this. Uh, But but at any rate, yeah, so lobbying, right, it gets a bad name, right? When people find out you're a lobbyist, you know, sometimes when I introduce myself to people, you know, we go camping with the boys, you strike up conversation with strangers, and, you know, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm sheepishly... I'm a lobbyist, right? And so, uh, yeah. and, and people, you know, roll their eyes and they, they laugh at the or what full face, you. like they <laughs> just drank some spoiled <laughs> yeah, milk. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think I, we do get a bit of a bad rap because we're an easy target for politicians, whereby leadership is lacked. Right, like we're an easy yeah. target. Um, Because we're wholly unaccountable for decisions that are actually made by lawmakers. So when things seem to be going haywire or when things are running counter to either public opinion or one political party uh, or uh, political persuasion or another's idea of what is or is not appropriate, everybody loves to blame, quote, special interests. Like somehow... We are as wholly unaccountable and completely unable to vote on legislation are somehow responsible for how public policy moves. Right. Um, and yes and no, uh, but I, I think it's unfair to, uh, to put it on, solely on special interests, especially because everybody is aligned with a special interest, right? Yes. Are you a member of a church? Yeah. Well, the Catholic Church has a lobbyist. The Lutheran Church has a lobbyist. The Baptist Church has a lobbyist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Yeah. Are you a member of? Do you have kids in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts? They have lobbyists. Do you give to the American Cancer Society, the American Lung Association? Do you give money to them? Well, some of that goes to lobbying. Yeah. Um, you know, are you a member of a business? Do you work for a company? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're either a part of you know some sort of association they're. Represents similar businesses. The Small Business Association uh, of Michigan uh, is an example. Or you know, a lot of industries have their own uh, internal lobbyists. A lot of jobs have their own types of uh, internal lobbyists. A lot of professional associations. Are you a social worker? Are you a doctor? You know, if the answers to those are yes, are you a construction worker? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, are you a a carpenter, an operating engineer? Uh, If the answer to that is yes, well, you've got a lobbyist, right? So everybody uh, has a lobbyist and and so the, the that's a long-winded way i guess to to finally get to the point which is all lobbying really is is an efficient way an efficient way not an inefficient way but an efficient way for people to engage with lawmakers at legislating, which is why we put this type of representative democracy together, this this right. uh, this uh, republic democracy together, right? Um, that's why we did it this way, and that's that's literally the structure of uh, of uh, of what we put together over the years. Though it may not be specifically uh, uh, what Jefferson had in mind, and and uh, some other ones, it's what came to be over time as citizens started to realize that they could and should be engaging in. Um, legislating that they should be engaging in affecting public policy, Um, lobbying is born, right? And so people do it via their industries or they do it via things that they're interested in, um, ends up trickling its way to the public policy arena. And Mm -hmm. that's really what a lobbyist is, is a person who is then representing that particular industry, either as an employee of that industry or, in my case, a multi-client lobbyist. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's kind of two kinds of lobbyists, right? Right. There's an association or corporate lobbyist, which is an employee of an organization hired by that organization to do things at the Capitol on behalf of that organization. Those lobbyists, though, also have a lot of internal duties as well. For instance, my wife mm-hmm. uh, is uh, with the Michigan Association of School Boards, or I was uh, before I got picked up by Capital Services, with the American Cancer Society. So not only did I represent, you know, health-related healthcare issues at the Capitol focused on cancer and fighting cancer, but I also had like membership stuff that I had to do. I had to right. create a culture of advocacy within the American Cancer Society. I had to go around and get volunteers interested in understanding how to engage their lawmakers on a personal basis. Uh, I had to get them interested in uh, helping form what the American Cancer Society's legislative sort of goals would be, um, as well as work with the staff structure at the American Cancer Society to to get them to understand how to do that and how to reach out to their groups of volunteers to get folks interested in how the American Cancer Society could maneuver at the state capital. Then you've got the second type, multi client lobbying, which is what I am. And for lack of a, 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 a another way to put it, we're like a law firm, right? We're, yeah. we're, we are put on retainer by any number of organizations to represent their interests of in the capital. And what we do there is more along the lines of helping build strategy, um, helping build the, the strategy and tactics for what that um, organization wants to get done at the capital. And then multi-client lobbyists, uh, because we have uh, a, a different way with, uh, of engaging lawmakers, um, we often have broader, deeper relationships at the Capitol, right? Right. Um, and because we have lots of different clients, then instead, when I was at the American Cancer Society, where I would tend to focus on you know, DHHS appropriations and health policy and every now and then trickle into some of the other committees, well, I've got clients all over the spectrum. Right, and so that uh, that requires me to form relationships all over the capital. So, as a new client comes in, given the breadth of relationships that a multi-client lobbying firm has on both sides of the aisle and in committees all over the place, um, that affords you the opportunity to then leverage those relationships to help those clients get done what they need to do at the capital. Yeah, Um, some organizations do both. Some organizations have both an internal in-house corporate you know, lobbyists, like an association lobbyist, like I said before, and hire a multi-client. That kind of dual, it, it creates a team of lobbyists that, you know, where you've got one that leverages the relationships and political connections and know-how expertise of the inside of an organization with then the multi-client lobbyist who knows where to put that expertise, that pinpoint sort of strategic accuracy about where to put that expertise um, that that lobbyist and their relationships can bring. So... Yeah. To answer the second part of your question, what does a typical day look like? There isn't one. The typical yeah. day is that there's not a typical day. And that's what's awesome about lobbying is that every day, every week brings all sorts of fun chaos. Yeah. Right. Because I will sit down on a Monday morning and I try to jealously guard my Monday mornings. Right? Yeah. We have our staff meeting where we kind of go over what our weeks look like. We compare our calendars, you know, get a sense of what one another are doing, share some information that we might have mm-hmm. uh, on, each, you know, on what each other are doing, which is always valuable. That's another value to having a firm is that we all are gathering intel and we all share it with each other and it helps our clients you know, overall, because I know something that Gene or Todd might not know. You know, Ben knows something that I haven't heard yet and we can share that information. Um, But then I try to to guard that, you know, a moment in time afterwards to look at my schedule, develop my calendar, think about who I need to target this week. Who do I need to talk to this week? What are the visits I've got to put in place? What are things going to look like? And then Tuesday morning hits and it all falls apart. Yep. That sounds right. (laughs) Right. You know, committees start coming and phone calls start coming and a thing happens and a vote goes sideways or a vote doesn't happen. Once lawmakers start coming to Lansing and they start talking and they start thinking about things, wheels come off of buses, and then it all just becomes about how you react to it. How do you, from ten thousand feet, look at the mess that's been created, look at that upside down, scattered puzzle, and start putting pieces together, thinking about, okay, well that's connected to that, and that's connected to that, and and finding that's the stimulating thing about this, and that's the the neat thing about the job is how do I sort of create order from that chaos, and still when they're in town, take it. Advantage of that to, to try to get done what I got to do. It's it's fun and stimulating and weird.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was um, that was certainly my experience when I was a lobbyist. Um, you know, I I always use the analogy of um, to. To teaching. So prior to being a lobbyist and a legislative staffer, um, I taught uh, college students, and Mm -hmm. I always compared it to teaching first-year undergraduates, right? Um, Part of your role is to educate people around issues, um, you know, especially in the term limits era. Um, Lawmakers don't necessarily have the deep subject matter expertise that they did 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. Um, and so they need to be educated on issues that they may never have thought about before, Um they're also away from home. They got a little money in their pocket. Um, you know, nobody's necessarily looking. Um and that leads to some bad behavior sometimes yeah. um both inside the Capitol and out. Um <clears throat> but you're right, I think the um the half controlled chaos was one of the uh the really appealing things um about being a lobbyist. So what you know, obviously when the lawmakers are in session, you're spending a lot of time um out on the black and white tiles in front of House and Senate session, in committee hearings. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you spend a lot of your time when you're when you're not in session with the legislature
1: so like mondays and fridays yeah. Um, or now that the legislature's taken a little bit, you know, they get a spring break, they take some time off in the summer. Sometimes they take some time off in the fall. I mean, you know, frankly, like anybody, those are moments in time when you plan your vacations, right? Yeah. So I try to get out and enjoy life and remember what my family looks like. Yeah, uh, and uh, they're and, lovely and, and, right, people. Yeah, you those are wonderful. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, but you know, you take a vacation like uh, like uh, all people uh, all people are afforded. Um, but it also allows you to, you know, th- there's some things that I do, like um, I know some issues are going to be coming up. It allows you to plan in advance. Right. So I know something that might be coming up in the fall or I'd like something to be coming up in the fall. And so I'll take some time in the summer to go meet lawmakers in their place. They're coming to Lansing and meeting me in my place. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I'm in Lansing. Um, Sometimes it's good to go develop that relationship with lawmakers where they are. Yeah, where they live. Get a sense of their district. Get a sense of them. It's a it's an informal time to have a little bit of in depth time with them. Get to know them as people because they are people. Yeah, um, you know they are human beings. Um, they're not just chips on a board, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Most of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, you know, they are human beings and you want to talk to them and get to know them. And what are their likes and dislikes? How do you meet them at that personal level? Get them to know you and build that level of trust. And I think that a lot of things that would go on with the Capitol is built on trust. It's easier to do something for somebody you know. Yeah. Right. It's why do you not give money to total strangers on the sidewalk all the time, right? Well, yep. because I don't know what you I don't know what you're doing with that. You know, right, I, don't, yeah. I don't have any accountability for that. But when somebody knows you know, when somebody you know comes up to you and says, Can I have twenty bucks? Well, yeah, sure, dude. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, it's easy to do something for someone you know. So you take that little bit of time in the summer um, or over spring break or in the fall to think a little more strategically about what you want done to help shape what it is that what you want done. You know the news cycle is slow, so if you are lucky enough to be working with associations that, that have a media presence to try to get some interesting articles in the paper, and op-ed pieces done over the summer because the news cycle slow to start to develop this sense of public taste uh, mm-hmm. about what you're doing and help drive a narrative about what you're doing or what you're trying to stop. Yeah. Um. And then again to meet those lawmakers where they live, um. And, and not only develop that relationship, but it gives you a little bit more time to kind of talk through an issue and get them to embrace it, get them. To understand it, or at least your point of view. Yeah. 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 So that's it slows things down a little bit, is really the it's things change and and there's still plenty for me to do in a day. It's the pace that's different. Yeah. Right? You yeah. know, so I with the exception of today, uh my uh you know, my calendar is still plenty full in a day. I still mm-hmm. have plenty of meetings and lots of emails and phone calls that I can do in a day. It's just not at at. The thousand pitch. miles yeah. a mile, an hour, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a manageable pace.
0: Yeah, and I think you raise a great point about the um, relationship work when the legislature is not in session. Yeah. That's a huge part of being a lobbyist. Um, one of my old bosses um, at the firm I worked at, um, Mike Hawks, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. always put it to me this way, that you, know, you want it to hurt when they have to say no. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's gonna happen. Um, at least it, feel bad.
1: At right. least feel bad. Exactly. When you got to look at me and say I'm sorry. Right. Exactly. Because <laughs> then maybe next
0: time. <laughs> yeah. But that's your job as yes. a lobbyist yeah. to to create that sort mm-hmm. of relationship where, man, I got to tell you no this time. I don't want to do it, but uh, mm-hmm. I got to tell you no this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a huge part of the job. It is is creating that sort of context mm-hmm. for the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So um, well said. What type of clients does your firm typically work with, um, and and how do you and your team help meet their needs, sort of bring value for them?
1: So, Capital Services was founded uh, in 1986 by Ellen Hoekstra and Daryl Tennis, Um, and it was founded at the time because uh, lobbying had been around for a long time before that, and in Michigan, some time before that, Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of lobbying at that point was really focused on, you know, corporate lobbying. and. Daryl and Ellen both came from unions. Mm-hmm. Daryl from the AFL-CIO, and uh, and Ellen from uh, the American Federation of Teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they saw that there's a real gap in multi-client lobbying in nonprofits, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, some of the labor unions, especially some of the smaller unions. And yep. so they created a lobby firm to kind of give voice to organizations that that used to not be able to compete at the Capitol with the size and power and longevity of corporate lobbying. And that's yeah. why Capital Services was founded. And so we've long tried to maintain at least some of that flavor um, at Capital Services. We still like to represent nonprofits. We still like to represent labor unions and smaller you know, professional associations, um, you know, that just don't have some of the weight that some of the much larger ones that have been around uh, a lot longer do, though just out of time and necessity, you grow your firm. And of course, we've started to to introduce uh, a lot of diversity to what we do, because like I said in your very first question, the impact that you can bring your clients are the relationships that you're able to maintain at the Capitol. And what makes right. that easier is having to do more yeah. uh, at the Capitol. So as Capital Services has grown and added more lobbyists, we look a lot more like what your traditional uh, uh, firm looks like, where you've got some nonprofit clients, you've got some, uh, you know, professional associations, and you've got some larger corporate clients, um, sort of a blend of what things look like. But we still do like to focus on that niche to the extent that we can at Capital Services that we started with low these many years ago yeah. um, to kind of give voice to to, to, uh, to some of those smaller uh, nonprofits that typically don't have them and that sometimes can't afford um, uh, 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 you know, a huge firm or something like that, because it, mm-hmm. it can be expensive. Lobbying is an expensive ordeal. Um,
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's incredibly labor intensive and, and you're paying for the labor of some specialists some, who, uh,
1: who have relationships. You're paying for relationships. You're paying for know-how. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's that's expensive and rare. Uh, yeah. And it's reflected in that. Um, but capital services does that. So we have an array of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we still you know, we, we proudly represent some building trade unions like the Michigan Regional Council of Carpenters and Mill Rights mm-hmm. and the IBW. Yeah. Um, and I love the work that we do with those clients. Um, you know, we are still doing work with the American Federation of Teachers. One of the capital service's very first clients, yeah. you know, more than 30 years later, is uh, is still with the firm, which I think speaks to the effectiveness with which we have long been able to uh, um, to represent uh, those types of interests. I think the longer clients tend to stick around with the firm, it speaks to that firm's um, um, effectiveness and abilities and and, and relationship requirements. Um, so you know, AFT is still a part of our firm, but we you know, we've got Google, mm-hmm. um, which which is a, a ton of fun, yeah, um, and, and gets us into some really interesting, uh, um, you, know, you know, conversations at the Capitol, not only from a tech perspective but an economic development perspective. You know we represent a lot of mental health organizations we've got school counselors school social workers school psychologists and they're part of a hot topic right now dealing with school safety and how we deal with our kids yeah um you know and and, and treating the whole kid looking at a whole kid rather than just a kid as a measure of how teachers are doing right uh right um you know we uh, we we represent social workers mm-hmm. um you know there are what god i think there's uh, about 20 some thousand about twenty six thousand social workers across the state yeah right so i mean you know we're, so so we've got uh, uh you know we, we're representing mental health that way um so lots of you know we represent uh, public employee retirement systems that gets us involved in uh, in uh, retirement questions yeah now what goes on with public employees and their access to retirement health care and and uh and just what their retirement looks like and. uh on a public scale, so uh, you know, on and on, we just have a, a, a breadth of folks that that, uh, that we represent at Capital Services.
0: Yeah, that's really cool that you guys still have uh, the American Federation of Teachers, yeah. where where Ellen Hookster came from. Mm-hmm. Um, you're absolutely right. It, keeping clients for the long term um, is the hardest part of being a political consultant. Oh, it yeah. was my experience as a lobbyist. It's my experience um, as, as the CEO at this firm, and it really does sort of speak to um, whether you're delivering what these folks want or not. Um, you know. I always said that you know, going out and scoring new clients is hard. Keeping clients is harder. Because oh, um, once they sign the contract, now you got to keep them happy yeah. and get them to do it again, which yeah. means you've got to deliver value. And that's, yeah. uh, that's great you guys have been able to keep them for uh, these 30 years now.
1: Like success and failure is so ephemeral at the Capitol, right? Yeah. Like you can build the best case that you can and your vote count looks as solid as it can. But once those swinging doors start in session yeah. and you're not allowed on that floor anymore and they sit down and they start pushing those red and green buttons, yeah. all hell breaks loose. Yeah. And what you thought was solid all of a sudden ain't solid anymore, right? Yeah. And and how you frame success and failure at the capital and how you how honest you are with your clients about what your chances are and what the likely outcomes are, I think is probably the most critical reason why clients come or go from a firm is really based in how honest you are and where you put that client's expectations. Yeah. If you're totally honest and you're like, hey, here's what here's what our best vote count looks like, but here's these uncertainties and here's where these things can go. And if you succeed, you succeed, but we need to be prepared for you know what failure looks like and here's what it can look like. As long as you're honest along every step of the way and you give them access to that information, they're OK. And yeah. they understand that public policy takes a long time. Right. Yeah. And that's on purpose, as you know, from from being a professor. And we're both uh, uh, students of, uh, of early American history. Our flavor uh, of a republic is supposed to be inefficient. Yeah. Right. Things are supposed to take a long time and be hard to do Mm -hmm. because when things get done at somebody's whim very quickly, that's what a dictatorship is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Very efficient. Not necessarily always the optimal outcomes (laughs) that we'd like to see.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So sometimes your issue, though, it seems like you're the hot button issue, still might take you six years to get done.
0: Well, that was the experience um, on an issue that you and I worked on together yep. um, after yep. I started the firm here yep. um, in corrections reform yes. and uh, making some uh, pretty serious reforms to the state's uh, parole system. Yeah. Um, we it, That took about six years. It did. Um, you know, we started working with that with uh, former Appropriations uh, Committee Chairman Joe Haviman in the House, uh, who uh, joined us on the podcast a few weeks ago. One of my favorite and, human beings of all time. Absolutely. And then um, he was termed out of office and the mantle was taken up by now. Um, uh, township supervisor in Plymouth Township, former state representative Kurt Heise. Um, and uh, we didn't get it done that time either. It uh, it took us another legislative session after yep. that to get it done. So about six years.
1: And that's, that's such a weird, especially for complicated topics, right? Topics that have been there, done that, sometimes you can do relatively quickly. Right? Sure. And I know that sometimes it seems like things whip through the legislature, and they do sometimes that's because that issue has actually been discussed and has failed for six mm-hmm. years, like our issue. Yeah. And it takes a while to build finally where the legislature's like, your first couple of years are, wow, this seems new and complicated. And then your next couple of years, the legislature is like, wait, haven't we talked about this? I thought we already and, did Yeah, this. and then <laughs> your final couple of years are like, we didn't already do this? Well, let's finish it. <laughs> yeah, <Right? That's> a, <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of the legislative, but sometimes those, so it seems like an issue whips through the legislature, but it's because it's been debated. It's sometimes behind closed doors for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit. How did you end up becoming a lobbyist? Was it something that you just set out to do? Did it kind of happen organically without you planning it? Like, what no was the idea. path? I have no idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, um, no, Most people don't know about lobbying. Mm-hmm. Right. And Or have an, they either have They have, like we started this with, a tainted view of what a lobbyist is or just no idea that lobbyists exist. Right. Right. There's this nebulous special interest, but lobbyist hasn't quite trickled down to, to most folks understanding. So, you know, no kid in high school unless they have a parent in the system. Wakes up someday and says, I want to be a lobbyist. Now, one of my twin boys has said that in his, you know, back when he was in fourth grade yeah. uh, and everyone thought it was cute and funny. Mm-hmm. But that's because he has parents who are deeply involved in that particular process. So he has context for it, right? And sure. I frankly doubt that that kid is now going to be one. Yeah. <laughs> He's now <laughs> since gone on to other more interesting things. As his mom and I have said, don't sell your soul and please continue to be innocent <laughs> uh, and a wonderful person. Uh, but um, so I did yeah, I didn't really set out. Uh, to do it. Now, I had always been interested in, in politics writ large. Uh, as you may remember, I was part of Model UN yeah. um, and was always sort of interested in, in uh, these sort of political topics uh, in high school, a politically wary teenager. And I came from a, a, a family who, though they weren't Involved in politics at the level I was, I, I came from a very politically involved family. My mom and dad were, yeah. uh, you know, deeply p- involved in 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 uh, rabble rousing politics of the '60s. Uh, yeah, aunts and uncles involved in the same. We've always been a very politically loud family, so it's I've, it's something I've always been around. But it didn't necessarily mean I was going to be a lobbyist. I was just aware yeah. that politics is a thing that 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 Americans should be involved in. Right, <laughs> right. That we it would be who to to know it and do it. Um, it, was, it, it was actually in college. My, my goal, part of what I had initially set out to do uh, in the Marines was actually, uh, you know, when I was in the reserves, mm-hmm. uh, and then complete my degree at Grand Valley State University, go Lakers, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, perhaps uh, uh, to go to officer candidate school, be an officer, yeah. uh, switch on active duty and, uh, and live a pretty good life uh, as a zero in the, uh, in the Marine Corps. Yeah. But then I started, uh, I had this wonderful, I had Professor Winters uh, at Grand Valley State University, and one of, I took one of his classes called Militarism, and it was essentially a history of Prussia. Love it. Oh, God, it was. Sounds great. To this day, one of my favorite, favorite classes. But it started getting me even thinking about this kind of stuff, and though Dr. Winters himself Uh, Was actually a terrorism expert. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and after after 9-11, I I was proud to see that a professor that I had at Grand Valley was consulted on a national level about what we should think and do about this kind of stuff. But my involvement, and he was also my academic advisor. Helpful. And so he started steering me, given our deep conversations together mm-hmm. in his uh, advising office, towards, "Hey, I really think you might want to check out this degree we have here at Grand Valley called public administration. Let me mm-hmm. tell you about it." And so I started studying that. And next thing you know, uh, one of the guys I was uh, I served uh, in Charlie Company here in the, the Lansing area with had a brother in politics Mm -hmm. and introduced us and we became very tight friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he got me uh, my first very strange job at the Capitol. And then lobbying just happens from there, right? Then once you become a staffer in the legislature, a couple of paths open themselves up to you, as you know, Mm -hmm. right? You either start maneuvering or both. You you start maneuvering your way through staff and you start working in in higher and higher offices and working your way towards leadership and sort of you're increasing your influence as a staff. Offer. And at some point, uh, some association or multi-client firm finds you, is attracted by you, picks you up, and you have this option to start in, uh, working in the private sector mm-hmm. and lobbying. Uh, and that's what happened with me. Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot uh, under the individual that I worked for uh, in the legislature. A lot about how a <laughs> bill becomes a law and how a bill shouldn't become a law. Right. right? Uh, <laughs> or doesn't. doesn't become a law. Uh, um, uh, but then through uh, those experiences uh, applied for a job, uh, first with the American Cancer Society, and because I knew where the Capitol was, where the bathrooms in the Capitol were, and some precursory stuff about how a bill becomes a law, and had some good relationships therein, mm-hmm. uh, I got hired. I, I chose to go to the private sector, and that's just one of the paths that you take. And it's not something I had ever designed to do when I started on staff. I thought staff might be pretty cool, and being, you know, the the legislative, uh, you know, the legislative staffer for a senator was pretty slick, and it was neat being on the floor, and it was neat mm-hmm. and kind of getting involved that way. But eh, then you start working with lobbyists, and that looked kind to need to. And for better, for worse, here I am today.
0: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Well, and that's, um, you know, the the way you describe that, too, I think the, you know, a lot of folks um, on the outside um, that don't follow government that closely have a very dim view of our state government, our federal government, of legislatures. Um, One of the things that I think uh, leads to a lot of this sort of best and brightest on the legislative staff side Mm -hmm. Ending up in the private sector and lobbying is that um, most of those staff jobs um, don't pay very much. No, um, and no. that might be fine when you're, you know, a young twenty-something starting yeah. your career. But um, you know, when if you want to start a family, you want to buy a home, yeah. you know, you you've got ambitions, um, you know, financially in life. There are very, very few jobs in the state capital um, on the partisan side anyway yeah. that pay well. Um, There are a few nonpartisan jobs at the uh, Service Bureau, the House (laughs) Fiscal Agency that pay reasonably well, but those staff jobs, by and large, do not. And so Mm -hmm. um, it's a very difficult thing to turn those opportunities down when they come along, when you're thinking about your sort of long-term future. Right. Right. Yeah, it really is. And I, I moved into lobbying before
1: my wife did. Um, and so, yeah, lobbying, even as a government relations director for a nonprofit association, is still a more lucrative position than some of the staff jobs are. Yeah. And so, you know, it was fine when my wife and I were, were young in our relationship. And, you know, the housing market in Lansing is not a terrifyingly expensive market even today. Right. Uh, so it afforded us an opportunity to start our little slice of the American dream together and she could still stay on staff. Well, frankly, she still enjoyed the work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at a certain point, she wanted to get out too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, uh, you you mentioned your wife being a lobbyist. Um, So you're very busy as a lobbyist. Your wife's very busy as a lobbyist. You have three very active young men that you're raising um, while uh, you're doing this after hours uh, entertaining. You're pursuing busy careers. How do you make that all work with all those responsibilities and still spending all of that family time? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, first... First and foremost, it's important to set boundaries. And I set boundaries with my colleagues Mm -hmm. and I set boundaries with my clients and Mm -hmm. I even set boundaries with some lawmakers, right? Like there's a certain point in the day when it becomes clear that Noah's not available, Mm -hmm. right? And I may answer your text message before that time. I may answer it even sometimes after that time, but there's time when I need to spend time with that family because maybe I'm coaching. And Mm -hmm. yes, even with as busy of a job as I have, I'm far from the only lobbyist who. Does some nonprofit board work on the side or does some coaching on the side or what have you. Right. We all get involved right. in life because we all recognize that we have that we have families. And so we set clear boundaries, you know, yep. hey, I'm going to answer your message when I answer your message and your message is important to me. But I also have this thing. And by and large especially with lawmakers, they really respect that. I've never found Mm -hmm. someone who's like, nope, you'll answer me right now or it's bleh, right? Mm -hmm. Um, People are very respectful of those boundaries, especially when, especially if you just make them clear, but that's all part of relationship development, right? Like, hey, hey, know that I'm just going to skip you for a minute because I'm coaching football for a couple hours, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, first and foremost, uh, I set boundaries. Secondly, it, it actually helps being married to somebody in the system. Because Jennifer and I both understand the importance of relationship building and relationship development. Yeah. We both understand the necessity of lunches and dinners. Yeah. We both understand when we have to go to Mackinac in May or uh, every other September. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, we both understand why we have to engage in some of these things um, about relationship development and client development and all that other stuff. So given that, um, it, A, it doesn't hurt that we know that that has to happen. But B, what we have to do is we just have to very closely talk to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Google. Uh, our calendars allow yeah. my wife and I to have a glimpse into one another's lives to be able to schedule this, that, yeah. and the other thing. And frankly, we have a Noah's calendar, a work calendar, a Jennifer's work calendar, and the Smith family calendar. Yeah. And they're all there. And But that's a, that's a huge part of our being able to maintain a good relationship with one another and with our kids is that we're able to talk to one another about okay I need this Wednesday so then you get next Wednesday I need this Tuesday so how about you do a Thursday yeah whatever that might be yeah. right and every now and then a surprise pops up you know session's going to go late but but we know you're as as a good and savvy lobbyist you know that about May June and about October, November, or November, December, things are going to start going a little haywire around the Capitol. Nights are going to start getting a little bit later. Yeah. So we start calling family and friends. Yeah. And just say, hey, Ben, we just put them on notice. Right. Hey, Mom, uh, session's going to get weird this week, just putting you and Dad on notice. We right. might need you Tuesday or Wednesday.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And your, yeah, your your parents seem to enjoy their grandbabies, so they that does help. Sure the free do. childcare, is not bad. <laughs> that's right, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and we don't do it all. And sometimes Jen is able to leave the Capitol because she just doesn't have an issue that's up. Sure. Sometimes I am because I can be like, Hey, Todd, you know, we're right. both working on some union issues, so I might be able to say, Hey, Todd, watch this for me for a minute. Yeah. Or you know, at Capital Services, we all have sort of a primary and backup system, so Ben might be like. Hey, Noah, I got to duck out for a couple hours on this late session night to, you know, go put Catherine through a ballet class really quick. Do you mind watching A, B, and C? Yeah, sure, man, I got it. Right. And that's going back to that first thing. That's why we had that staff meeting. We yeah. kind of know it. We know enough of what one another are doing that I can take it for a minute. Yeah. until they kind of come back. So there's ways to manage these busy schedules. It just requires heavy communication.
0: Yeah, so it's not yeah. that different from, um, it sounds like from um, you know managing life in politics mm-hmm. uh, in general, right? Mm-hmm. You plan until you can't plan anymore yep. with the understanding that the plan's going to fall apart. Yes. But the more we have it planned out, right. the less it's going to hurt us when the plan falls apart.
1: No plan. <laughs> no plan survives first contact with the enemy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Spoken like a Marine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so people complain a lot that they, uh, they don't like government. I mentioned this earlier. They don't feel that it's responsive to their needs. Uh, they don't understand how to influence the behavior of elected officials. Somebody who uh, influences elected officials for a living, what do you recommend for your average citizen who's looking to have an influence on government in Michigan?
1: This is my favorite question. That I get asked by everyone. I love this question, and frankly, this is capital services foundational question. Yeah, um, because you know unions and nonprofits are just collections of people, right? Right, and, and trying to find a voice where they felt like there wasn't a voice before. So I I love contemplating this question and. You know, a service that we provide our clients at Capital uh, Capital Services are lobby days. And lobby days, as you remember from, mm-hmm. from your time, are a pain in the butt to do. They're hard to do because yeah. you're getting folks to try to come to the Capitol on a day and you're trying to plan out what their day looks like and getting a bunch of nervous people to sit down and talk with their lawmakers. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's, it's hard and it takes, it takes you away from what you can do in a whole day mm-hmm. and the flexibility that you need of a whole day to instead focus on one thing for like a whole week. Work day. but they end up being so worth it because not only have you increase the visibility of one of the groups that you work with to lawmakers who may not have heard of some of those folks before or have only heard about them through you mm-hmm. as a lobbyist without a personal connection right which I think is a that's a key but then you've also now shown a whole bunch of people who were previously possibly nervous or reluctant yeah that it's not so bad right right and so i think the easy answer the first answer that we tell that that we tell people uh, to this question is it's all about relationship development. Mm-hmm. The magic to what I do in a day is relationships. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> relationships, I it's it's such a key to what we do. Uh, again, you know, we, we talked about it earlier. Uh, it's easier to do something for somebody, you know. Yeah. And so all you got to, you know, lawmakers get there because of people. Yeah. Right. So all you got to do is just remind a lawmaker that you are people. Yeah. So we tell people that it's important to develop a relationship with your lawmaker. um, And there are several ways to do that. The easiest way um, is to call your lawmaker and actually get asked to put on their email list. And they're going to email you a little newsletter Mm -hmm. uh, that tells you about what they think is important going on at the Capitol. But the key to that newsletter is look at when they're going to be doing their office hours in the district. There is not a single lawmaker in Lansing that doesn't hop all over their district Uh, Every Monday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, doing some sort of in-district coffee hour or two or three, right, Mm -hmm. as they skip around their district to meet the people. And... (laughs) Every lawmaker in Lansing has the same, like, five people show up to their coffee hours, right? Yup. And it's, like, the same four retired dudes who, they got nothing else happening that day, so they'll go sit down and they're all going to wind up. Drink out, free like, coffee. Yeah, yeah. drink free coffee, and, like, my curb heights are too high, and mm-hmm. these damn fireworks, and, you know, I don't know, dogs, and I don't know, the crops, and I don't know. I want to raise goats in my yeah, backyard. right, exactly, I right, know, no, <laughs> right, so it's, so the same people show up and talk about the same stuff, right? And then, and then that one person always shows up with things that actually aren't things that a state level lawmaker can do, right? Like, what right. are we going to do about this job? How are we going to overturn Roe v. Wade? Know, right, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I want to go to the moon again. Yeah, right? like, exactly. great, The moon talking, shot. Perfect. Right? Talking <laughs> to the, the wrong dude. So when somebody new shows up, With some new idea uh, and some new relationship, blah, do they take interest in you because you're this new thing and this new idea. So what we always tell people is go to those coffee hours and talk about that group you're involved with. If you're a carpenter, sit down with your lawmaker and say, hey, this is what I do for a living. And we need more of us because there's a shortage and we make great money. And an apprenticeship is also a job and blah, blah, blah. Get them excited about it. Um, you know, if you're a social worker, we, I, you know, I love telling them that. Like, invite them to where you work, invite them to your clinic. Let yes. them See what you do. Talk every day about the type of clients that you see, and say, let's really talk about mental health issues, right? Right. And talk about because what that does is it takes these nebulous issues that lawmakers are trying to solve, and they make it personal, not just to a lobbyist, but they make it personal, attached to somebody in their district. Yeah. And you find, as we talk to folks um, about developing developing a relationship with your lawmaker, that when you meet them at that human level, when you mm-hmm. meet them outside of Lansing, out from behind their big wood desk in their big poofy black leather chair, yeah. when you meet them in their district, when they're in you know a short sleeve shirt and jeans, mm-hmm. um, and, you know drinking coffee over a plate of bacon, right? That all of a sudden it humanizes them. To the constituent and the constituent to them. Yeah. And so you meet them at that human level and all that first step of relationship building is, is just sit down with them and say, hi, my name is Joe and here's some, here's some issues that are important to me. Yeah. Here's what I do for a living and I just want you, I want to give you a glimpse into my day.
0: You know, that's that's exactly right. And you you brought up the lobby days and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, those are those are, like you said, a great entree for people who are involved in some sort of professional association with an issue to make that initial contact um, to sort of dip their toe in the water a little bit Mm -hmm. um, and not be on their own. Um, which I know is intimidating for a lot of people, um, although really, um, you know, your average citizen should not be intimidated by state lawmakers nah, at all. No. Um, They're they largely not intimidated. No, people. in
1: fact, they are they are more excited about you having taken time out of your day to come to Lansing, which mm-hmm. means you had to find daycare for your kids right. and take a day off work from your job to come meet them at their place than you might be to meet them.
0: That's right. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, Your very presence is a measure of yeah. intensity of yeah. feeling about an issue that's right. for the reasons you just said, right? Yeah. If you're from Traverse City and you came for a lobby day to Lansing, that means you drove three and a half hours down here. You had to figure out what to do with your kids. You had to take the day off work so you're not earning money. Right. You care enough about that issue that you showed up all the way in Lansing. That's going to get noticed. They are wrapped. Um, Absolutely. And so, like, let's
1: say that, you know, some other advice. Let's say that people don't want to meet them at the coffee hours. They don't know what they want to do. You know, in the write a letter. Now, not, you know, in the modern era, we write emails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so email your lawmaker. Right. If, if you're even nervous to meet them at their place, email them with information about you and a thing that you are concerned about. But when you do that, make sure that you ask for something in that email. Yes. Ask for a response yes. on an issue. If you just email them and say, my name is Noah and I'm a social worker and I want to tell you that, you know, mental health parity is a big issue for me. And here's why you're going to get the canned response. Thank you. Take your issue on advisement. We really value input mm-hmm. from work issues. that. Blah, blah, blah but if you say will you please get back to me with this answer to that w- an answer to my question and here's my question that forces them to that forces that staffer to then take a look at that contemplate it have a discussion with their boss and mm-hmm. think and yeah. actually give you a measure of response and you're going to get a real human response back that then starts a dialogue that you can have with that lawmaker and then you continue that conversation yeah and do it in a humane and and rational way you may be passionate about something you may be angry about a vote that they took. But but having a tweet storm conversation with them is the way to get ignored. Yes. Having a rational conversation with them is the way to get heard.
0: Yeah. Because just right. like
1: anyone, you know, anyone who gets mad at me, if my neighbor starts screaming at me about something, well, you know, mm-hmm. never mind. Right. But if my neighbor and I have a rational conversation about how I'm tired of his dog Taking a crap in my yard and they're not cleaning it up. That's not happening. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> I love my neighbors, Bruce and Sharon. They're wonderful people. Uh, um, but uh, you know, but the point, you know, both the point remains. You yeah. know, how you treat your neighbors is how you should treat your law neighbor because they're, they're your neighbors.
0: Yeah, right. they, they literally are they your, they're neighbors. Really your neighbors. That's <laughs> right. right. Um, yeah, and and that um, that's that's always going to be more effective being yeah. able to have a sane sort of rational conversation with them. The one other thing I'd add to that, and I think this gets. Um, Neglected by a lot of folks is um, joining stuff. Yep. Um, so, um, one of my colleagues here at Grassroots Midwest is a great way of putting this. You can think of any community any legislative district, any way that we organize ourselves politically or geographically as a Venn diagram, yeah, right? Mm. And the most powerful, most influential place to be is as close to the center of that Venn diagram as you can be. Yeah. And the circles that make up that Venn diagram are going to be different for every community or every constituency. Um, in you know Some communities are Rotary communities. Yeah. Some of them are Kiwanis communities. Yeah. Like, I'm a member of the Optimist Club in the community where I live. We do youth stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you know who else is Member of the Optimist Club. Most of the small business owners in your community right. are going to be members of Optimist or w- Rotary or Kiwanis, yep. Yep. or they're going to volunteer at you know the Ronald McDonald House right. or whatever it might be. Get involved in stuff in your community. You know, if you're a Catholic, join the Knights of Columbus or, you know, whatever those civic philanthropic groups are, because other people who are interested in influencing politics, influencing the community conversation, the culture, that's where those folks are. And um, if you have those sorts of relationships, when you do have the contact with that lawmaker, it's in a context that's very, very meaningful to them because you're not just Joe Blow, the social worker who's concerned about mental health parity. You're Mm -hmm. also a member of all of these influencers influential groups in their community and they know that you talk to people um, that they already know that matter to them. And they go to those groups. That's right.
1: They always go to their local Rotary Club once a quarter and give a little talk about what's going on in Lansing and that'll give you even five minutes to be like, hey... Thanks for coming to Rotary today. Let's set up a coffee and talk about this thing that's bugging me.
0: You're absolutely right that they go. That's how I ended up in the Optimist Club in Mason, where I live, (laughs) is former state representative Tom Cochran I was having coffee with uh, six months after he was termed out of office. And he's like, hey, we're looking for some new blood. We do this volunteer work, raising money for kids. We do a youth sports day. I was like, absolutely, Tom, I'm in. Well, that guy was a state representative for the last six years. Right. I know he was going to every meeting. sure was. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and so were all of these local small yeah. business owners. So join stuff in your community. Absolutely. Be be part of the community conversation, and that's only going to amplify your voice yeah. um, when you want to make that contact. Yep. Yep. Um, So we like to end every episode of Ticket Splitters um, with what I call war stories, Um, funny or amusing tales from the campaign trail, the world of politics and government. And uh, I know you've got some of these. I know some of the people that you have worked for in the past. Um, So why don't you edify our listeners a little bit with uh, with tales from the political underbelly?
1: Cool. Boy, where do I start? It doesn't implicate me in stuff.
0: <laughs> I mean, you d- you did work for former Senator David J, who I believe did. he was the last senator being be expelled, uh, was he not?
1: Was there one after him?
0: I know we expelled Todd and Cindy from the House, or yeah. well, we expelled yeah the one of them, the other one, one of left, the other one left.
1: I thought there was another one well, but you're right he was it, it, at the very least he's he's a rare bird in uh <laughs> in, in politics um though not totally unique uh yeah uh, pretty pretty clearly i had left um I left his office eh, two and a half years before, uh, before he got kicked out of office. Yeah, oh, right on time. Uh, yeah, right, right, <laughs> right on time. So I'd, I'd been with the Cancer Society for a few years uh, when, uh, when that all blew up, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, interesting, uh, interesting stories there. I, I'll probably have to think a little bit uh, about some Dave J stuff. Um, I do, um, hmm, 2007. 2007, yeah. we had a government shutdown.
0: I remember. Uh, right? I, I helped shut her down. Yeah, and we had
1: uh, we had Bishop as majority leader, Mike Bishop as majority leader. Yep. Uh, Andy Dillon was Speaker of the House, and Governor Granholm. Yeah, uh, was governor, and and the issue on the table to prevent the government shutdown, the, the the issue that was stopping the budget in its tracks, was income tax increase. Yeah, as I recall, and it was one of the so it, it started on a what was that a September? It was September. Yeah, as I recall. Uh, August into September, and uh, um, it it started on a regular Tuesday session, Mm -hmm. and it started going, and it started going, and it went late in the night. And I remember they put the income tax vote up on the board, and they, as they do in the house, let the board open. Yep. And midnight approaches, and, you know, they close the board, they do the new prayer, they reopen the board at 1210 or whatever it was, and it was open All day, Wednesday until the next midnight. Yep. And then Thursday Mm -hmm. and then Friday and then Saturday and Sunday and Monday. And they're calling these special sessions uh, three weeks. Was it two or three weeks Mm -hmm. that that went on seven days a week? And I remember I was just about three years into capital services uh, at that point in time. And so we started doing budget watch in shifts. Yeah. And so a couple would go home and try to catch up on some sleep. And a couple of us would stay at the Capitol. Um, There is a conference room. Across uh, in the north wing of the Capitol, mm-hmm. kind of across the hall from what is the Speaker's office, kind of across the hall and down, sort of near the near the rotunda, mm-hmm. huge table in there. And I remember at a million o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. having had even enough for uh, for this uh, for this hardened Marine, mm-hmm. uh, and I went, I, I fell asleep for about two and a half hours under a table mm-hmm. in a conference room on the dusty floor yeah. uh, of uh, of the House of Representatives building. I had found out later uh, that, that I had missed a, a little neighborhood party. Mm. It was a Friday into a Saturday. Um, and my wife had gone over there um, and, and had burst into tears in mm. front of everybody over there. Well, we were keeping a secret mm. from the neighborhood. Uh, she was pregnant with twins. <laughs> and <laughs> your she, wife is a saint. By uh, the way. Oh my God! <laughs> so uh, we had. So I, I I came home that Sunday. Todd had taken my shift, and I came home that Sunday uh, and was outside doing a few things. And my neighbor starts looking at me very expectantly and mm-hmm. like, "Hey, what's up?" <laughs> and they said, Well, we think something's up. Is your wife okay? Because she uncharacteristically sort of started bursting into tears and. After about 20 minutes of beating around the bush, I'm like, all right. You can't tell anybody, Uh bud. Yeah. (laughs) So, yes, I was leaving my poor, burgeoningly pregnant wife, uh, you know, for, for, you know, days on end alone, because Isaac at the time was only about three years old. Right, yeah. So she's not feeling that good, and Isaac was bonkers, because I will tell you that three-year-old, everyone says terrible twos, lies, it's three. Yeah. Yeah, three-year-olds are the worst, so he was being just a three-year-old, and she had had enough, and so, yeah, that that was an interesting moment, that was a heck of a thing, where that um, uh, that particular fight over the, uh, um, you know, over the over the income tax. And and yeah, I mean, we're sleeping on floors. Yeah. We're sleeping in those uh, uh, in the in the balcony, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the gallery of the House and Senate. Uh, it was nice and cool. Lobbyists would just curl up and sleep for an hour or two. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, you Absolutely, know, I remember. Uh, in the corners. I remember yeah. one of those evenings where a um, the speaker put a call of the house on, mm-hmm. and uh, members were trying to hide because yes. um, for those who don't um, follow the legislature in Lansing, um, when a call of the house gets put on, um, the members are required to be. Um, in the House chamber um, and they shut the doors. They're not allowed to leave. Um, And so I actually ended up um, hiding um, a Republican um, state representative, uh, former Representative David Law, um, in the appropriations (laughs) office for a few hours so that he could sleep on a flat surface instead of uh, the chair at his (laughs) desk um, because nothing was happening on the floor. The call of the House was essentially just a way to torture members at that point to try and ring votes. That's what it was. They shut the
1: doors. They can't come we go right right they stop making coffee yeah and then you just sit there and they turn the heat off yeah. or the, the air off and you just sit there and sweat yeah, they try to sweat it out of
0: you. <laughs> I also right. recall during that budget shutdown that we had to send the state police to go find former representative David Palsrock was at a Michigan State University football game and we had to send the state police <laughs> to go really find him. him.
1: <laughs> I thought there was a northern Michigan one, too, that they had to send the state cops to go bring back.
0: Oh, you know, I recall something about that, but I don't remember who it yeah, was. Yeah, I
1: don't either. Uh yeah, sucks to get old.
0: <laughs> well, and on that note, I think we're uh, I think we're gonna wrap the show up. I want to thank my guest Noah Smith from Capital Services for joining us on this edition of Ticket Splitters. Thanks so much. Thanks so much
1: for having me, man. All right, really we'll talk
0: to you next time, that. folks.